Homosexuality is such a perverted and diabolical error. It is a dysphoria that corrupts all the intellect, all of it. Every decision is corrupted by practicing homosexuals. It is so pervasive and so corrupting. Once it was able to get its nose under the tent, or once the homosexuals, once it was, oh, I don't care what he does in his bedroom. No one should ever say that. You would not say that about your child. You would not say that about your 14-year-old daughter. Oh, I don't care what she does in her bedroom. Yes, you do. Yeah, but men of church play, they're adults. You don't want adults running around or laying around or rolling around in a sack committing acts of sodomy. They're going to go to hell if they don't atone for them, confess, and they do penance for them. You don't want them doing it. Don't No, whoever came up with the indifference to sodomy, which is just the most disgusting, vile, wretched act imaginable, we should find out who it was, try him, convict him, and hang him. No, throw a millstone around her neck and throw him into the sea. We'll let Parrot push him over. We'll let Mike Parrot push him overboard. We'll let Parrot go, walk the plank. Walk the plank, you bung lover. How did this happen? Small minority. Well, let me explain it to you. The book is a paleoconservative anthology. This particular chapter is written by, hang on, uh, Pedro Gonzalez, a uh, Sam Francis, a foundationer, a foundational thinker of the right. Samuel Francis was a contemporary of many of Patrick J. Buchanan and also of Joseph Sobrand, uh, other great writers, Mel Bradford. Um, I want to share this part of this essay because it, I believe it, it, it was an eye-opener for me. When I read it last night and again this morning, uh, I was like, okay, people need to know this and you need to hear it. Since the book cost a 100 bucks, I'm going to give you the audiobook version of a page and a half. Please do not tune out. Do not go to Eddie and the Breitbart Breakfast Flakes. Do me a solid. I... Th Think that you'll uh, that you'll agree that you'll be far more enlightened on the subject than you were when we started. Because I know I am. I'm like, oh, so that's how they. Okay, now it makes sense. This will also put the solution into greater perspective for you. Revisiting the managerial revolution. So. Sam Francis's contention was that it wasn't Marxism, it wasn't communism, it wasn't uh, uh, agnosticism, it wasn't uh, Satanism or any of the isms. Francis's contention was what the Mar what the demons did with the Enlightenment, and it ultimately culminated in in in, in, in uh, the UK. and the other non-monarchical uh, countries of the EU, and here in the United States, what they did was they created a managerial hierarchy. Experts, an expertocracy, as William Briggs calls it. Now, how did they do it? 
How do they convince people that they didn't want to actually govern themselves any longer? And didn't want Christ or any other, uh, or didn't want Christ involved in any of the decision making as well. Well, they had to make basically, basically Aries, Aphrodite, Jupiter, etc. They had to make gods out of humans, and they had to put the gods in power, in charge. Well, how did how did they do that? Yeah, how did they do it? This is how they did it. Armed with these Machiavellian tools, Francis, Samuel Francis, restated Burnham, uh, 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 Burnhamism. Uh, Burnham is a guy that um, wrote uh, the Machiavellian's Defenders of Freedom. James Burnham was his name. Genius. <clears throat> Francis, uh, Samuel Francis restated Burnhamism and constructed his own theory of American politics. Francis outlined the main features of American society and politics until the middle of the 20th century, from 1895 to 1955, what historian John Lukacs called the bourgeois interlude. Uh, was shaped by a middle-class America that had been informed by the nationalism of the 19th century. The principal characteristics of the bourgeoisie are not reducible to income, but are cultural and psychic, he wrote, of modern American life. Uh, Psyche wrote Francis, and it was bourgeois, uh, bourgeois, uh, bourgeois taste and habits that formed the texture of modern American life. So we're all bougie development dwellers, in other words. Well, how'd that happen? Well, here's how. The bourgeoisie sense of personal authenticity and liberty, the desire for privacy, the cult of the family, per, uh, permanence of residence, uh, uh, the, dura uh, the durability of possessions, the sense of security, and the urbanity of the standards of civilized life, he said. All these things define the dominant American culture that lasted from about, about the end of the War of Northern Aggression to just after World War II. Francis, moreover, associated these standards with the bourgeois attribute of interiority, a preoccupation, quote, a preoccupation with the self manifested in literature and the arts through the novel, the portrait, the keeping of diaries, and the publication of letters, and appearing socially and politically in the creeds of individualism and the self determination of nations. But the bourgeois ruling class that dominated this interlude did not settle for indulgently plumbing the depths of its own psychic interior. It set its sights outward, first on Marica and then the world. Francis again. The technology, industry, urbanization, and mass educational and commercial institutions created by the bourgeois elite enabled it to start straightening out regional and social bumps in the road of progress within the United States and to prepare for turning the rest of the world into a bourgeois parking lot, close quote. Bourgeois, uh, bourgeois success, however, spelled the beginning of its demise, or rather its suicide. Again, another quote. Its corporations, banks, universities, and pubescent bureaucracies gave birth to a new class of technocrats who had little use for bourgeois beliefs and institutions, or so Francis argued. The new intelligentsia creeping out of bourgeois universities and into tenured chairs in the editorial offices of newspapers and magazines despised the bourgeois class that had created and subsidized it. 
and the new savants knit their brows to devise ways to humiliate, subvert, and overthrow the bourgeois order. In the economy, the separation of ownership and control produced by the managerial revolution after the Great Depression and two world wars removed bourgeois property holders from the direction of their own firms and empowered professional managers in their places. Now, a great example of this, I'm just gonna, I'm gonna pause for just a moment, I'm gonna throw this out at you if you're confused. Human resource directors. No such creature exists prior to somewhere around 1980, 85, somewhere up in then. If they were there, that's, that's not what they were called. Because every human is a resource. HR departments took the power away from the men that owned the companies and put it, and basically they seized it. They seized controls for how employees were to be treated. See where this is going? This is a brilliant reverse engineering of how they did it. Continuing now. In politics, mass democracy theoretically empowered the people, but in reality, it was the experts who managed the enlarged state and its intermediary institutions who held real power. As Mosca wrote, the, quote, the larger the political community, the smaller will the proportion of the governing minority to the governed majority be, and the more difficult it will be for the majority to organize for reaction against the minority. Mass democracy, in other words, strengthens oligarchy. This is exactly, by the way, what George Mason, the founding father, said that the United States was going to turn into. That the Constitution was rotten, didn't have clauses in there to prevent it, and it would turn into a vast, oppressive oligarchy, exactly what it is today. Continuing on, on Sam Francis in a paleoconservative anthology book. By the end of World War II, the new managerial elite was taking power, while the old bourgeois elite had been virtually decapitated and their belief system discarded. Its survivors accepted the leadership of the managerial class and adopted their values, which constituted a new technocratic cosmopolitan ethos. According to Sam Francis, the containment policy applied against the Soviet Union had essentially created an embryonic world government. The United States was rapidly becoming what it set out to fight. The United Nations, World Court, International Monetary Fund, and World Bank were the appendages of the Leviathan picking apart real America. Treaty regimes and executive agreements and the vast labyrinth of the national security bureaucracy joined to a foreign policy establishment in universities, foundations, corporations, banks, law firms, and Congress, Francis wrote. Long before the fall of the Berlin Wall, this whole complex had become a self-sustaining and self-interested elite, closely linked to and part of the larger managerial class that has come to prevail in American and European governments, economies, and cultures. The invention of global democracy and the management of the global economy. Just think of these terms now. 
These are these are all the, the, the this is boilerplate terminology now today today. The invention of global democracy and the management of the global economy and the global and the global environment hmm? provided new rationales for an enhance, enhancement of managerial elites' power and post-national agenda which subordinated American sovereignty to unaccountable transnational organizations. Sam Francis characterized the managerial regime in the United States as one in which class one residues dominated among elites, meaning that it mostly operated through fraud, manipulation, and lies instead of brute force. Whence the identification of managerialism in its formative and expansionist uh, phases as soft authoritarianism. So they don't have to shoot any of us, in other words. Through fraud, deceit, lies, and manipulation, MK Ultras, the brainwashing, they didn't have to shoot us. They had to kill, I mean, they did have to kill some of us. But they were able to do it without killing people. It was a revolution in authoritarianism, is what he's saying. Here's the concluding paragraph, then we'll move on to Sam Francis himself. Sam Francis's main addition to Burnham's managerial theory was identifying modern liberalism as the political formula, to use Mosca's term, of the new ruling class, the cosmopolitan ethic of the managerial elite emphasized an abstract universalism inimical to traditional conceptions of American life. Artificial communities like the Brotherhood of Man took priority over local affections while egalitarianism became the basis for deconstruction, deconstructing or modifying conventional social and cultural orders and institutions. This is just so brilliant, so spot on. Let me, if I, if, I, if I may, let me pause here. Let me wet the whistle for a second. And let me just say to you something. Let me, let me illustrate this, how this works, in case you're going like, dude, I don't get it. At the end of the following, place the word that I'm looking for. The and it means a, a gathering, uh, an assemblage, if you will. The LGBTQ plus blank. Fill in the blank, Maggie. I, I don't ask trick questions. The black, fill in the blank. Starts with a C, ends with a Y. <laughs> You're not watching. You didn't see me just tell her. <laughs> Just, just say it, say it, say it, say it. Say the word. Say it. No. Yes. So the audience gets it from someone other than me. Are you talking about caucus? Community. It's a, it's, a, it's a card in Monopoly, for heaven's sake. The LGBT community, which is the brotherhood of sodomites and lesbos. That's not a community. I live in a community. What do they call a retirement home? A retirement what? Community. They have, they have taken the term community and turned it upside down. This assemblage globally now that all sodomites think alike. You, you see, all blacks think alike, but the black community, don't. you, you see how they did it? 
This crap didn't exist until 40 years ago. Hell, maybe not even 35, 40 years ago. Well, we have the concerns of the black community. What the hell is the black community? Notice they never say the white community. We don't have one. They obliterated real community and replaced it with an airsats community. Ooh, big word. Look it up. The password is airsats. I just think this is just simply brilliant. Now, he's going he's gonna to stitch the dots together here for you. Uh, artificial uh, communities like the Brotherhood of Man took priority over local affections. That's with an A, affection, affection, uh, affection, in other words. Affections, while egalitarianism became the basis for deconstructing or modifying conventional social and cultural orders and institutions. Indeed, now listen to this. Indeed, for a new ideology to rise, what came before had to be discredited and obliterated. So, sacred tradition, if you're a Catholic, they did the same thing to the church. They obliterated and discredited sacred tradition. Same thing with obliterating mom, apple pie, and baseball. Now, I'm being kind of cutesy here, but they obliterated basically what people used to call American way of life, the American dream. It wasn't so bad. It could have been Catholicized and made holier and better. Yes, this is true. We're humans, though. We don't get things right. But the potential for a Christendom was there. The potential for it now. This is me saying this. The potential for a Christendom was there in every state, in every little community. And maybe there were little pockets of it. They had to get rid of it, folks. And boy, howdy, Satan and the boys, Baphomet, Bagul and the boys, they did a job. They did a number. Okay, here's the conclusion by Pedro Gonzalez writing about Sam Francis. Indeed, for a new ideology to rise, what came before had to be discredited and obliterated, which the managerial elite did by eliminating from public consciousness the historic American nation and its way of life, what I just told you. Endless crusades were launched by the new ruling class against racism, sexism, homophobia, xenophobia, and chauvinism. Whites became the enemy of history and progress. See, now you see why they had to do it? The old bourgeois customs and values were reframed as obstructions to progress. Older forms of education gave way to multiculturalism and critical race theory as the managerial elite allied itself with the underclass against the predominantly white working and middle classes. By the way, they're trying to deliver the kill shot, Biden is, with this mass immigration of non-whites from South from Mexico and Central America. Now, now you see what they see, this is to infiltrate. They need numbers now to finish us off, in other words. Which is why I say impeachment is an act of mercy. The man should be brought up on charges. The Congress should bring him up on charges of sedition. It ought to go to a court of law and he ought to be tried. I see it. Uh, Um, he concludes, yeah. older forms of education 
The old bourgeois customs and values were reframed as, as obstructions to progress. Older forms of education gave way to multiculturalism, as they called it. And critical race theory, as the managerial elite allied itself with the underclass against the predominantly white working and middle classes. This is why they also had to obliterate the factory that they themselves had created. They created the industrial working week, leave the home, go thousands of hundreds of miles away or whatever, uh, destroy the continuity and community of the family farm, the family homestead, the family vocation, and replace it with its, uh, with its airsats, uh, with, with an airsats family, people that you work with. My coworkers, you know, you would now say, again, another fake community co-workers that's a fake community your co-workers used to be your children corporate and government managers who have mostly mer who have who have mer mostly merged by now have also sought to dispossess long settled Americans through mass immigration a policy that provides a fulcrum of power and new possibilities for social manipulation uh, you know, and this is what they're going to tell us. Oh, everyone is going to have to learn a little Spanish now, you see. Everyone is going to have to learn Mexican and Central American cultures. And, and you're going to have to honor. Look, the, the, new, the new immigrant migrant community, they're already calling it the migrant community. It's an invasion force. It's, they think it's the kill shot. And then the last sentence Samuel Francis anticipated what we know now as wokeness with unmatched clarity and prescience. Brilliant. Genius. Now, let's bring it all forward to 1996. By the way, I will rat myself out. Uh, before he died, El Rushbo read this piece to his audience because he was so blown away by it because Sam Francis basically predicted Trump. MAGA. He, 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 said MAGA was, he said MAGA was going to happen because Pat Buchanan happened. But what was Pat Buchanan, my friends? Pat Buchanan was an answer to what? Fake community. Pat Buchanan was an answer to what? Everything that I just told you, but the managerial state, the managerial company. Why did all the companies go along with the Corona doom? Because they're part of the managerial elite. They had to. They, 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 look, they didn't give it a, a minute's thought. One of the most damning things about this, and the way I can easiest prove it, do you know how many people are st still shocked? When they're running around with Carhartt hats and jackets and stuff on with the logo. And I go, you do know that those people are completely and entirely woke. Rainbow flag, tranny, vaccination masks, forced vaccination, the whole shebang. No, they're not. Yes, they are. Yet may most certainly are. Look it up. I'm the one here on the Mike Church Show that broke the story and published it on uh, my Substack, one of my first Substacks. Outing Cracker Barrel is in the same boat. Cracker Barrel is entirely and completely run by sodomites and trannies. They're family run, but no, they're not. Maybe they started as one. No one that gets large will survive 
the managerial state or the managerial elite or the managerial way of doing business in these United States. Maybe this is why our blessed lady, our patron and queen, our lady at Walsingham, maybe God or through, or through her intentionally keeps some of us small. She doesn't want us to become managerial. She doesn't want us to become so big that you don't know what the other hand is doing, which almost every institution, every entity becomes. Chronicles Magazine. I sent you the link last night in Signal. From Household to Nation, March 1st, 1996, by Samuel Francis. I'm going to skip the first three paragraphs. Go read it for yourself. The importance of the Buchanan campaign, Pat Buchanan now, lies not in its capacity to win the nomination or the national election, but in its organization of those forces into a coherent political coalition. That coalition includes the remnants of the old right, as well as various single-issue constituencies, pro-lifers, anti-immigration activists, protectionists, to which Buchanan is one of the few voices to speak. But it would be a serious error to squeeze Buchanan into an orthodox conservative pigeonhole from which he is merely trying to lead a replay of the Goldwater campaign, the candidacies of John Ashbrook or Phil Crane, or the Reagan movement. And especially in the last year, he has expressed and developed ideas which most adherents of the conventional American right, mainstream conservative, paleocons or libertarian, are not comfortable but conventional conservative doctrines today are virtually extinct politically for the simple reason that the social groups that found them expressive of their interests and values no longer exist or no longer are able to command a significant political following. And as a result, conservative ideological candidates like Alan Keyes or Bob Dornan, who insist on campaigning on those doctrines, rise no higher than 2% or 3% in the polls. Now, that perfectly also explains the popularity of your kind, humble, beneficent host. Only 2 or 3% of the people out there that hear this show are going to go, wow, yeah! The rest are going to go like, rah, rah, too complicated, rah, wrong, radical nutbag, conspiracy, whatever. So, Either congratulate yourself or damn yourself. If you like this show, show you're in that number. If you like Mike Parrott, you're in that number. If you're a fan of Reconquest, you're in that 2 to 3%. And there's not a lot of us, which is why it seems like it's such a heavy lift in an uphill climb. It is precisely because we're in that small minority. But if the trannies could do it, if the Munchausen by proxy mothers could do it, and what did they do? They formed themselves into a what? The T part. The transgender parents of transgender children community. So now this ubiquitous airsets fake community now has power continent wide, baby. That's that's what I was trying to explain earlier. That's how they did it. That's how they did it. It worked. It's working. What's the antidote? What's the antidote to everything? That's bad. Christ. That's the antidote. 
simple. It's not hard to figure out. Christ. Laugh it up, fuzzball, all you want. Petty fog all you want in the chat room. I don't care. That's the antidote. So the people that are with the Catholic land movement, that is a component of it. Land, your hands in mud and dirt and chicken shit. Yes, I said it. That's the solution. It's seeming better charge play that they mean we can't have electronics enough. But, uh, you know, I, I don't know. I don't know that they're necessary to it. I, I'm not opposed to it. I don't think that it's, I don't think that they're necessary. Well, what are you going to do? Well, I think I'll be gone by then <laughs> if I'm still around. Maybe we'll buy a couple of AM radio stations. Sam Francis. One major reason for the underestimation of Pat Buchanan's prospects and for the surprise with which most analysts have greeted his unexpected success lay in their mistaken assumption that Buchanan would simply vet another right-wing protester, calling the party in those parts of the nation that would listen to him to pick up the torch of doctrine and wave it until the waters of political and cultural darkness extinguished it. The reason Buchanan has not been submerged is that the torch he carries illuminates new social forces that only now are forming a common political consciousness. What is important about these forces is not that a campaign centered on them does not now win major elections, but that the Buchanan campaign, for the first time in recent history, offers them an organized mode of expression that will allow them to develop and mature their consciousness and power. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, that is the power of M-A-G-A. -A. Simply put, Trump is Pat Buchanan in 2016. And Sam Francis called it 20 years before it happened. So I think we should listen to it. Those forces consist, of course, of the broad social and cultural spectrum of middle America. Middle American groups are more and more coming to perceive their exploitation at the hands of the dominant elites of what I just described for you. The exploitation works on several fronts, economically by hypertaxation and the design of a globalized economy dependent on exports and services in place of manufacturing, culturally by the managed destruction of middle Marican norms and institutions, and politically by the regimentation of middle Marikans under the federal Leviathan. Sounds like me writing this, doesn't it? Kind of the significant polarization within American society is between the elites, increasingly unified as a ruling class that rely, and look, and look Angelo Cotavia got it in 2010 with the ruling, with the ruling class elites. The significant polarization within American society is between the elites, increasingly unified as a ruling class that relies on the national state as its principal instrument of power, and middle America itself, which lacks the technocratic and managerial skills that yield control of the machinery of power. Other polarities and conflicts within American society between religious and secular, white and black, national and global, worker and manglement are beginning to fit into this larger pol polarity of middle American and ruling class. The ruling class uses and is used by secularist, 
globalist, anti-white, and anti-Western forces for its and their advantage. The interests that drive middle America, social and political forces, are considerably different from those that drove the groups that generally supported one or another version of conservatism in the era during and after the New Deal. Old conservatism was a body of ideas that appealed mainly to businessmen of the haute bourgeoisie, the, the, the haute bourgeoisie, and their localized middle-class adherents, a social base that 20, 20th century social and economic transform, transformations effectively wiped out. Old right conservatism defended a limited, decentralized, and largely neutral national government and the ethic of small town, small business, Anglo-Saxon Protestantism. That was a mistake. As the social base of the old right withered in the post-depression and post-World War II eras, the political and intellectual right essentially divorced itself from these declining interests and forces and evolved a new and far less socially rooted ideologies that represented almost no one outside the national, academic, and journalistic circles that formulated them. And by the way, just to, again, I'll just drop in a comment, a parenthetical comment. The Kennedys. He mentions the Protestants, the Protestant Protestantism. It's true. But where were the Catholics? Well, the Catholics had decided they wanted a piece of the elite ruling class pie. The Kennedys decided they wanted a piece of the pie. They were the most prolific and popular Catholics in all of New England. This is not an accident. The demons worked on them. They always played the long game. There was no Catholic opposition. Maybe in the figure of Bishop Sheen, but certainly not nationwide, especially after the Second Vatican Council. It became popular to ditch sacred tradition, to call people names, to go like, I don't have to do that anymore. No, 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 we got revolutions now. We get to join them. We get to do what they do. Well, how did that work out for any of us? How did it work out for our Protestant brothers and sisters? It didn't work out very well for them either. You might say we led the charge to the bottom of the toilet bowl. Drag them along with us. And don't kid yourself, my Protestant brothers and sisters. York people didn't resist either. You went along with it. That's the issue. The Catholics should have held their ground. And if they had, your mainstream Protestant sects never would have budged on any of those communities embracing homos and having Episcopalian bishops that are chicks and lesbians. That never would have happened had the Catholics held the line. So it's in all of our interest to return back from whence we came. Again, what's the answer? Christ. He's always the answer. There is no question that he's not the answer to unless it's two plus two equals what? By the 1950s and 60s, movement conservatives habitually quibbled with each other over the... You know, put Brian on for a second. Let me, let me just say hello. I, don't, I hate to keep the poor man on hold. Bro, uh, bro, brother, brother Coke, how are you? I'm doing outstanding. How am I doing? Okay? We okay? We're good. Yeah. Okay. All right. You enjoying the... Am I, am I hitting singles? Did I, did I strike out foul balls? What, what, how am I doing? Ground rule double. Ground rule double. Okay. All right. I'm going to try to hit one out of the park, Okay. <laughs> 
Hey, I'm, I, I don't want no men, no no lobs here, bro. I'm not going to leave you on base. Thank you. I'm going to bat you in <laughs> in just a minute here. Hold on. <laughs> okay. Uh, Neoconservatism emerging in the late 1960s and 70s was even worse, far less cerebral than the abstractions turned out by 1950s conservative intellectualism, but quicker on the draw when it came to political showdowns. Neoconservatism gained the audience of no, the adherence of no one, but still other eggheads alienated from the establishment left and contemptuous of their newfound allies on the right. Given the collapse of the social base of the right and the addiction of right-wing intellectuals to ideological navel-gazing, <laughs> I haven't used that word, he's a navel-gazer. We say mouth-breather today, we ought to say navel, what are you, a freaking navel-gazer? What the hell's wrong with you? All right, just, I just I just advanced him to second. No, Grand Will Doba, he's on third. I got, I, I got cooked to third. There was enough, uh, enough in the rhetoric of Richard Nixon's new majority and Reagan's appeal to Southern and blue-collar Democrats to stitch together mom uh, momentary triumphs. But the persistent residues of pro-business conservative ideology and the failure to deliver on social and cultural commitments to middle American constituencies prevented the consolidation of an enduring coalition with real roots in existing social forces and the culture those forces supported. Middle Americans emerging from the ruins of the old independent middle and working classes found conservative, libertarian and pro-business Republican ideology and rhetoric irrelevant, distasteful, and even threatening to their own socioeconomic interests. The post-World War II middle class was in reality an affluent proletariat, economically dependent on the federal government through labor codes, housing loans, education programs, defense contracts, and health and unemployment benefits. All variations of conservative doctrine rejected these as illegitimate extensions of the state and boasted of plans to abolish most of them and middle American allegiance to political parties and candidates espousing such doctrine could never become firm. Yet in the same time, the ruling class proved unable to uproot the social, cultural, and national identities and loyalties of the middle American proletariat. And middle Americans found themselves increasingly alienated from the political left and its embrace of uh, anti-national policies and countercultural manners and morals. Thus there emerged a chronic middle American political dilemma. While the left could win middle Americans through its economic measures, it lost them through its social and cultural radicalism. And while the right could attract middle Americans through appeals to law and order and defense of sexual normality, conventional morals and religion, traditional social institutions, and invocations of nationalism and patriotism, it lost middle Americans when it rehearsed its old bourgeois economic formulas. Middle American votes could be won by whichever side of the political spectrum was better at feeding anxieties over cultural rot or economic catastrophe. But neither an increasingly anti-national and countercultural left nor an increasingly pro-business right could expect to stabilize middle American political loyalties sufficiently to sustain a national coalition. Now, now, what he's saying here, he's writing this in 1996, what has happened since then? 
Yeah, you know, I, I love what Tucker said the other day when he said, man, I remember back in the day when left and right would have these arguments over the and, and we, we thought these things mattered over what the minimum wage ought to be. Now we're talking about cutting penises and testicles off and lopping breasts off of little girls. Somebody bring back the argument over minimum wage and what it ought to be. Do you, you, you see that? How and, and then what are you, if you're a Republican? What are you supposed to do? We're pro we're pro business. We're pro, pro capitalism. Uh, if you're truly a conservative, no, you're not. You most certainly are not, and you shouldn't be. In the, I said 20 years, uh, 20, in the, in the 27 years since Francis wrote this, it's gotten, it's cemented. Now, where is middle America to go? Let's bring Brian Koch on. I, I, I want you to read the rest of this, but let's, let's, let's bring the farmer on. Brian, where is middle America, your middle America, where are you Su and Suzanne to go? That's what we're trying to figure out. But you, you you made the point that Christ is the answer. So you follow him and, you know, you live your state in life and figure out what he wants you to do. Now, when I hear Trump speak on many things, I hear Buchanan. Do you? Yes. And on, when on I... A lot of things. Okay, and when I hear Buchanan, I love Pat Buchanan. When I hear Buchanan, he's not right on everything, but when I hear, none of us are, but when I hear Buchanan, and I and I was in Buchanan's brigades, and I, and I, I like to tell him and remind him, Pat, I met you in 1992 when you came to New Orleans. He goes, I came to Metairie, and I was at a place called Augie's. I'm like, yes, I was there. And he goes, thanks for the hundred bucks. <laughs> but when I met Pat in 1992 at Augie's restaurant uh, on the service road in Old Metairie, when I met Pat and when he was campaigning on the America First platform, it was the first time that I had ever that I had heard any of that. I had, uh, I had ever heard um, uh, 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 that because oh, I was you know I was brought up on this kind of um, this managerial uh, capitalism, if you will. No, free trade is always good. Uh, you know, I was one of the people that were going. We need NAFTA. NAFTA's going to be. It was only until Trump came along and Trump went. This was the worst deal ever made for Americans. The North American Free Trade Agreement. It was a, it was an absolute unmitigated disaster. But when I heard Buchanan, and Buchanan was railing against Bush signing NAFTA, because Bush wasn't going to sign it. He was basically the, the, the neocons made him sign it. When I heard Buchanan, it was the first time I had ever heard many of those themes. And when I hear Trump today, I still hear those themes. And I think that that's the reason why the managerial elites are so terrified of him because they see the painting, you know, of the Angelus painting of the, of, the, of the husband and wife standing out in the middle of the field who his with his hat off and she'd put the basket down and they're saying the Angelus at noon because they heard the church bell ringing. They are terrified of that. That, that is horrible. That, that, that's like Freddy Krueger coming after them. So it, it, you, I think I can explain... That's why when people go, I'm not trying, how could you be for Trump? He's different than the other. He's as close to Buchanan 
as anyone is there. He may even be more Buchanan on some things. But he does. The, 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 my primary takeaway, and I say this all the time, and people laugh at me, go, ah, you're just a Trump. You're just a toady or a homer or whatever. Donald John Trump is not uncomfortable around welders. Brian, he's not uncomfortable no. around farmers. He likes them. He, he appreciates what they do. That's middle America. You, as the biologist that helps the farmer in, uh, in Green Acres, <laughs> you know, get to, <laughs> you're Mr. Kimball that <laughs> helps the farmer. Uh, you're, what you're supposed to do. No, dude, your soil's messed up. You're, you gotta, you, you, we got to work on soil health out, uh, out here and the water systems that you, know, that, uh, that you oversee. Uh, those people that you meet, that's middle America. And then Trump is completely at ease with those people. When he met those Hispanic uh, business people, he's completely at ease with those people. He talks their language. You know, they like him. He likes them. Uh, Folks, that to me, this is the missing ingredient. And I'm not saying that Trump is the savior by any means. And I'm not saying that we need him to save ourselves. But while we're stuck in this union, this is about as good as you're going to get. That can actually win an election and has their assets and resources to do so. So, um, are you? What are you saying? We're supposed to settle? I'm saying that you're supposed to uh, uh, don't do any more harm in places where it matters, and maybe you can undo some of the harm that's been done. Uh, what say you? I, I agree, and you know, you say you know Trump identifies with the middle of America. I mean, that's who built Trump. You know, that's who built the hotels and the casinos and and worked in those places. To make him successful, so I think he understands that completely, and that's why he's comfortable around them because he knows, hey, he can trust those people. He can trust me. I mean, I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going to stab him in the back. I mean, I'm, you know, I could. I wish he'd come around on some of this, you know, his liberal social stuff. But you know, everything else. I mean, he's he's good. I mean, and and, and it was proven with that. But you know. I agree. You know, he's he is, you know, he is comfortable around, you know, I'm sure he enjoy walking around with me and plant these plants that I'm planting this morning or <laughs> you know. I I I I feel like that. I mean, he 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 seems genuine in that aspect. I mean, look at look at when he would make those don you know, write those big checks to those people who were, you know, had cancer or or other, you know, those those people weren't expecting that and no. and, and but he knew there was something good by doing that and helping. So, yeah, I, I, I think he might like uh, hanging around on a radio station for uh, an hour or so. Tell me how this all works. How do you do this? Uh, what are the? Uh, if he would ask me, well, you know, what I'm, uh, what are my issues? What I'm confronting? I, I, I could have a conversation. I think he would listen. But listen, I'm going to put you back on hold for just a second because I want to finish. I'm, I'm skipping like five pages here, but I want to get to the conclusion because I think it's Free Farm Friday boilerplate stuff. So hold tight, and I'll try to, I'll try to, I'll try to bat you home, BK. He's on third base, so I'm going to try to get him home. This is Samuel Francis' conclusion, 1996, title of the essay, from Household the Nation, March 1st, 1996, Chronicles Magazine. Here's how he concludes. And it's all about Pat Buchanan and the America First movement. Um, and basically, Francis is going to predict in these last three paragraphs 
Trump, MAGA. There, there, there is something to making America great again. Whether we like it or not, we live in America. This is me saying this. But here's how he concludes. Yet, if Pat Buchanan has one major flaw as a spokesman for and an architect of the new middle American political identity that transcends and synthesizes both left and right, it is that he exhibits a proclivity to draw back from the implications of his own radicalism. And and, and by the way, I'm going to pause here. This is why I actually think it would be beneficial for Trump to not be in the stupid party. Based on what Maglin said yesterday about Rona McDaniel, he better watch who he turns his campaign over because those people are going to cost him and us again. All right, back to uh, Sam Francis. Uh, this became evident in 1992 when he insisted on endorsing George Bush and even on campaigning for him. And last year, he also vowed to support the Republican ticket, even if he was not the nominee. Any such commitment on Buchanan's part should be contingent on other candidates' commitment to support him if he is nominated. But so far, none has bothered to do so. And, and, and by the way, who did the Republicans nominate in 96? Bob freaking Dole. <laughs> Stupid was that? Uh, Buchanan, for all the radicalism of his ideas and campaign, remains deeply wedded to the Republican Party and to a conservative political label. And he tends to greet criticism of his deviations from conservative orthodoxy with affirmations of doctrine. Last year, as a conservative uh, criticism of him, uh, as conservative criticism of him increased, his response was that the only area of disagreement I have with traditional conservatives or tradies is trade. And that's crucial to bringing back the Perot voters to the Republican Party. Buchanan's loyalty to the GOP is touching. You might say uh, replace Buchanan with Trump. Especially since almost no Republican leader or conservative pundit has much good to say about him. And the loudest mouths for the Big Ten are always the first to try to push him out of it. (laughs) Even today, many Republicans try to blame the 92 defeat of Bush. Uh, Bush's inept and lackluster bid for re-election on Buchanan's now famous speech at the Houston Convention. A speech was that uh, that was the only memorable event of the whole proceeding, in which Buchanan himself continues to defend and even to distribute as literature for his president uh, for his present campaign. But uh, and by the way, you can listen to the speech at CrusadeMax.com. I put it there just for you guys. But touching or not, Buchanan's refusal to break even more uh, definitely with a conventional conservative identity and with a Republican Party whose leadership fears and despises him, his beliefs and his followers, is a serious error. I recall in late 1991 in the aftermath of a wall-to-wall gathering at his home to discuss his coming campaign, I told him privately that he would be better off without all the hangers-on, direct mail artists, fundraising whiz kids, marketing and PR czars, and the rest of the crew that today constitutes the backbone of all that remains of the famous conservative movement and who never fail to show up on the campaign doorstep to guzzle someone else's liquor and pocket other people's money. These people are defunct, I told him. You don't need them, and you're better off without them. Go to New Hampshire and call yourself a patriot, a nationalist, an America firster. 
but don't even use the word conservative. It doesn't mean anything anymore. Close quote. Pat listened, but I can't say that he took my advice. By making his bed with the Republicans then and today, he opens himself to charges that he's not a true party man or a true conservative. Constrains his chances for victory by the need to massage trunk-waving Republicans whose highest goal is to win elections and only dilutes, or dilutes rather, and deflects the radicalism of the message he and his middle American revolution have to offer. The sooner we hear that message loudly and clearly, without distractions from conservatism, Inc., the stupid party, and their managerial elite, the sooner middle America will be able to speak with an authentic and united voice, and the sooner we can get on with conserving the nation from the powers that are destroying it. The end, Samuel Francis, Chronicles Magazine, 1 March 1996, from household to nation. Let me connect the dot. We are right. Brian Kay is right. Dan Mundy is right. Michael Jadis Thomas, Michael Thomas Jadis is right. Fathers Fahey and Faber were right. John Sharp is right. David Simpson is correct. Mike Parrott is right on most things. And I say that for all of them, not just Parrott. The people that you hear on Free Farm Friday are right. They're correct. Bishop Strickland is right. Will Harris is largely right. Sure, are many of those other people that we've interviewed and talked about farming. They're right. Trump is right on many things. But they're right because they are not in opposition, by definition now, you have to connect a dot here, they're not in opposition to Christendom as it was, and they're not in opposition to Christ. Now, that's not me proclaiming them as saints, as teachers, as liberators, or anything of the sort, but what they're right about is J.C., So we have the answers. What we don't have are men who are courageous enough to say what I just said. The king dude is right. I'm right. I'm not wrong. I'm right. Correct. The guy on the phone is right. Do you have the courage? Do we have the courage to stand by those men? Life, liberty, through thick, thin, Torment, persecution, threats, loss of physical, loss of economic prosperity. Because that's what a Christian is built to do. And that's what followers of Christ who are right are built to do. So we're right. We know how to solve this problem. The only question that remains is, are you going to do it? And no, a nation is not going to follow you. That's not how this works. But your family will. You might even snare a neighbor or two. That's a victory, folks. So, Brian Kay, did I bat you home? Or are you stuck on third base? I am in the dugout getting uh, fist bumps <laughs> and uh, arm bumps. 
whatever they're called. He shouldn't have dug out. <laughs> but really, really, uh, I, I mean what I, what I said. We're right. What we don't need are apologists. And we don't need people going like, yeah, but you know, they, 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 they've done that and that. And bigger isn't always better. I mean, it just, no, you're, you're, shut up. You sound like one of them. As I said, Trump is right on most. He's not right on everything. He just isn't. Uh, but he's right on a lot of things. And so are the people that I, I mentioned. So the solution, and again, is, it's not difficult. The difficult part is actually agreeing with the solution and then actually implementing. Now, that's the hard part. And then when you see someone that is also doing it, reach a hand out. Hey, man, I got your back, bro. That's the solidarity part. But that's the solution. Um, and that's why we talk about uh, this stuff every uh, uh, Free Farm Friday here. Interesting to me, though, that these guys were pointing this stuff out 27, 25, 30 years ago. And uh, uh, here today, would you say that it's worse than it was when Buchanan was uh, was running in '96? If you were around, I don't know how old you are, or is it, or is it, uh, or is it better today than it was then? Well, I was in high school when Buchanan was, and I remember him. And th- what I remember was he was. I, I guess I, I mean my parents were. I don't know. They were more focused on work and everything like that. And I think they just kind of went with the status quo. And uh, if everybody said, go vote for Bob Dole, that's, that's, that's kind of how they did it. But, uh, just, but the question about being better, I think, it, I think a lot of things were, were simpler back then. But I, I think a lot of the things that led us to where we are today were in place. You know, Clinton was sneaking in and turns around the White House. Uh, you know, O.J. was killing his wife. But, you know, the, all the, you know, the, the immorality was, was definitely there. And I think it, it laid the groundwork for people to just become numb to it. And it, and it, and it spread into the political, uh, you know, realm. And, and it's like, well, you know, I really don't care what you do. And, and you know, as long as you're not affecting me. And, and so... I think a lot of that was was happening, and we just didn't realize it. But you know, uh, economically and, and everything, I think everything was 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 easier, but uh, better. I don't know. I don't know if easier is always better, but uh, but it, you know, it's, it's kind of a kind of a tough, you know, tough uh, thing to 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 consider. You know, especially reflecting on you know years of doing what we're doing here now, you know, trying to grow our own food and, and trying to live the faith right and, and, and get to heaven. And it puts all that other stuff into perspective. It's like, you know what? Maybe none of that was really good. Yes. Easier, but like I said, is easier. Good. Um, in 1996, there were probably five, places in the entire United States where sacred tradition and the mass, the, the holy sacrifice of the mass that supports it, that you could go to it, maybe five, maybe a half a dozen, 
today, uh, in, despite the efforts by Big Frank and others to get rid of it and try to subjugate us to, to catacombs and basement, Brian, uh, there's over 500 places this Sunday you and I can go to find sacred tradition and the holy sacrifice of the Mass. Uh, that's an improvement that no one should lose sight of. Exactly. Exactly. So I think the hard times and 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 the us, however you want to say, red pill or whatever, that we've we've taken to see the, what's going on around us has driven. I don't. I wouldn't say a majority, but I, I think it has driven a lot of important people with with loud voices to that sacred tradition, and other people have recognized that and, and followed into it. You know, I, I think. You know, I think. You know, you can't. You know, you can't dismiss. You know, the you know five hundred places you can go. I mean, at one time this diocese had three places where I could go to a traditional Latin mass. I mean, we're down to one now because of you know Francis, but we still have one where, you know, up until two thousand eight, it was unheard of. I mean, people would ask priests for you know special permission to do it, but. You know, and but you know, it, you, you didn't know those people, and then, you know, we we think about our struggle. Oh, it's so tough now, and everything like that. But you look, you know, Charles Cologne wrote that book. Every man today called Rome. You know, that was 1984. Wow! That, wow! That, that yeah, you read that book. That was 1984. We, we us new to this. You know, I've been going to the Latin Mass almost ten years. I mean, I'm, I'm a newbie. I'm a, I'm a baby to that. <laughs> so, so you know, there, this, 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 you know, it, 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 yes, there's more of us now, but we can't. Hey, we can't forget who got us here. I mean, I, I, I mean, I'm thankful for Archbishop Lefebvre. You know, people are, you know, a lot of people cringe. You know, they, there's a lot of hate for SSPX, but if it weren't for Archbishop Lefebvre, I don't think any of us would be seeing a lot of what we're seeing now. So. You know, we we gotta look to those predecessors and you know the Pat Buchanan's in this example. You know, they were banging that drum, and it's you know it's you, you know that uh, just to, uh, quickly you, you know that Buchanan and Justice Scalia and Justice Thomas uh, were taking in the Latin Mass at uh, Old St. Mary's in Mordor. I've actually been there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I recently read a book on Scalia, and he loved the Latin Mass. And his son, uh, Paul, Paul Scalia, blessed yeah. the White House for Trump. He did the exorcism to get rid of the Obama demons. Yeah, exactly. So there's it's it's been there. But I think, you know, we you see the. Well, I mean, it's, it's easier now, but, you know, a few years ago, when you say you prefer the Latin mouse or, you, you know, people look at you like crazy. I don't even understand it. I mean, I still get that today. I don't understand what they're saying. You know, I don't, and it's like, it's not, you know, we, we can go into that. And, you know, it's not, but still, you know, and now you, you're seeing more people. I think the worst, and, and this is not really, I don't know how much this has to do anything, but I think the worst Francis gets as far in his people get at, you know, trying to push us down the more the regular people are seeing it. There's more Novus Ordo Catholics today are like, why is he doing that? I don't care if you go to the Latin Mass or not. You know, it's kind of that that attitude. And, and they're like, why, why, why does he do that? You know, what, what, what's what's wrong with him? And, you know, I think I think we just need more. I think, you know, in the, in, the, in the secular world, you know, we need more of that where we, you know, find people who, oh, I, I, well, 
even with Biden, you know, the, 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 the wheels are falling off that thing like crazy. You know, people are running away from him where, you know, you have I've known Democrats for years who would just do, you know, it, it flips over whoever just because they're a Democrat. And now they're sitting there sitting back like. I can't even do this. I can't do this with Biden. Well, even a Democrat uh, wants to be able to go to the grocery store and wants there to be stuff on the shelves. Uh, uh, no. uh, I mean, it's severely uh, cutting into my Shiner budget. If the this if if the MSM as they call it, uh, if the MSM were broadcasting and covering what is happening in Eagle Pass, Texas, and across uh, the, the Texas border in New Mexico and in Arizona. Um, and and American people were, were were informed of this. I believe you would instinctively. I don't care what side of the fence you fall on. You would instinctively see this as a bad thing. You would go, "Hey, wait, 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 wait. Where are all these people coming from, and where are they going?" Exactly. Well, if the mainstream media would cover what the Wharton County Sheriff's Department gets every three, two or three days on Highway 59, Interstate 69, coming through here. They would be like, "What the heck's going on? There's something wrong here." So it's not just at the border. I mean, it's and you know, thank God I live away from the highway, but you know, there's car chases, there's you know, bailout, you know, people bailing out. I mean, it's you know, it's 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 not just at the border, and you know, it, it's like I said, if, if there was honesty in any type of reporting. You know, I think more people, but that's why there's not. What is this honesty to... that you speak of? All right, we're, we're, we're just about out of time, so I want, to, <laughs> I want to spend a couple of minutes. All right, uh, what are you planting, uh, tell everyone, in, in South Central Texas or in Eastern Central Texas, what are you planting and how long do you expect before you'll be able to harvest? Okay, well, right now I'm digging and I'm planting uh, some late pumpkins and uh, summer squash, and a lot of those have uh, 55 to 75 days okay. uh, maturity. Uh, I think I can squeeze it in because we've been keep having these late freezes the past few years. So I'm just trying that out. I have a bunch of seeds and doing that, but I'm also, we've got um, in the ground broccoli, cauliflower, cabbage, you know, a lot of your greens and stuff, and I have more seeds started for those. So as soon as those are up, I'll be putting those in. Uh, the, just uh, the hot weather has delayed a lot of my cool season stuff. Okay, so and the good news for me then is, okay, we have cabbage in the ground. I did, I did seeds, and uh, they, they're popping up. We have two rows. Uh, they're a little tiny, T90, but they're there. We planted Roma, uh, romaine lettuce and then wildfire, uh, wildfire uh, they call it a wildfire mixed lettuce, um, and two separate beds. Uh, the lettuce is growing in both. I have broccoli seeds started in a planter. Um, they've been in there for two weeks now, and I still have no bud. So I brought them inside. I had started them outside. And it wasn't working. So two days ago, I brought them inside. I put the light on them. Um, might have to replant. <laughs> well, I did. Might have to Two days ago, okay. two days ago, I went okay. ahead and put more seeds in there because it, and, and and they're under the lamp, so I'm pretty sure that they'll grow now because uh, I've gotten fantastic results out of uh, out of that planter, uh, out of the uh, the seed starter. Uh, so I'm with you with the with, with broccoli, lettuce, and cabbage here at the church household, and of course uh, we're having to water everything because we're still not getting an awful lot of rain. Uh, they are getting a lot of rain 
<laughs> in New Teenock, Teetlin. So, matter of fact, the subways are flooded. So, uh, uh, go figure. Um, that's going to have to wrap it up for us here on uh, this edition of Free Farm Friday. But next Friday, I'll be coming to you actually live from an actual farm at Walsingham West. So, uh, we leave tomorrow for three weeks. Uh, we have to go babysit the in-laws' farms and goats and chickens. But the upshot of that is... We get to live the country life. Uh, I'm just re- I'm just moving the, the, the studio. I've basically mirrored it uh, in the fifth wheel. Um, uh, well, we get fresh eggs every day, so the, the upshot is the eggs. That's awesome. Yeah, so I'll be on the farm uh, next uh, next Friday. So yeah, next Friday next Friday I, I'm doubtful because I've got meetings all day Friday. I, I don't know who plans meetings on Fridays, but they should be whipped. But <laughs> <laughs> yeah, haven't they got the memo that almost none of our listeners work on Friday anymore? Uh, I mean, I should have sent that memo, you know, years ago when I first started this job. But <laughs> it is what it is. So I'll, I'll, keep you, I'll keep you posted, Mike. So. All right, brother. Sounds good. God bless. Uh, good luck with the uh, uh, God bless with the planning. Happy Feast of uh, Michaelmas. St. Michael the Archangel today. Pray for us. And uh, we'll, uh, uh, if not next week, we'll talk soon. Sounds good. God bless y'all. Yeah, haven't they got the memo that almost none of our listeners work on Friday anymore? Uh, I mean, I should have sent that memo, you know, years ago when I first started this job. But <laughs> it is what it is. So I'll, I'll, I'll keep you. I'll keep you posted, Mike. So. All right, brother. Sounds good. God bless. Uh, good luck with the. Uh, uh, God bless with the planning. Happy feast of uh, Michaelmas, Saint Michael the Archangel today. Pray for us, and uh, we'll. Uh, uh, if, if not next week, we'll talk soon. Sounds good. God bless y'all.